Can you feel it? That red wave is going to be so big that even deep blue New York is going to get wet and is going to turn red. I firmly believe that. And even Democrats are getting worried that New York will be flipping. Yes, and I had the sense that this could happen. Granted, it's not a presidential year, but when Donald Trump came down that escalator in 2015, I really thought that if you stripped that message to its raw components, that it would appeal to 49, 50 states. I mean, that Donald Trump could be capable of a Ronald Reagan-like victory. Now, we're not there yet, but <laughs> this is good. This is really good. Pollsters think that Lee Zeldin is going to pull this off, and some Democrats are said to be very, very pessimistic about what could happen here in New York. He's running for governor against Kathy Hochul. Take a look at this, please. Uh, yes, he's got a slight edge at this point, but they've got internal polls, and all kinds of trends indicate that even in New York, a Republican could come out on top. You know, uh, here's another sign of that. Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris tried to come to Kathy Hochul's rescue. I don't think it's going to work. Just about every interview she has, by the way, it's some terrible gaffe or just some flat-out lie. She's desperate, and when you get desperate, you start making mistakes. We have leaned hard into working with Mayor Adams on getting more cops and cameras and care for people who are severely mentally ill who have been on the subway. So I was not talking about this in an election environment. We did this back in January and have a sustained approach to bring state resources to help local law enforcement, which is something I'm proud to do that hasn't happened before. The governor and the mayor of New York never cooperated in the way that we are now. Oh, yeah. Just a quick lie to get things started. The mayor of New York and the governor have never cooperated the way they are right now. What? She shows up for a press conference with Eric Adams. She thinks that's special. 9-11. Rudy Giuliani and Governor Pataki, along with George W. Bush. These two, they were the dynamic duo. Together, they helped save this state and even this country. George Pataki, then the governor, and Rudy Giuliani, then the mayor. So we've seen this when it really works when it really means something. Kathy's just repeating lines that somebody gave her. One thing that Lee Zeldin has said he would definitely do if he becomes governor is that he would, through an executive order, repeal immediately the bail reform law that was passed. Would you repeal it through executive order? Again, that, that is such a simplistic approach. It, it negates the fact that it's about how we support law enforcement. And he voted against he wouldn't support funding for the police. I triple the mm -hmm. amount of money for law enforcement. We're supporting violence disruptor programs. He, to say that you're just going to change one part of the system, it shows a naivete that it's not going to be a real solution. Oh, speaking of naivete, violence interrupters. Did you hear about that? Violence interrupters. This stuff, they love to talk about it. It never works. They hand out a couple of sweatshirts, a couple of T-shirts, and they say, you know, up with progress, up with hope, a bunch of sloganeering. It doesn't work. They pump all kinds of money into this volunteer program. It doesn't work. And yeah, bail reform, <laughs> we're not making this up. Who remembers the Axeman? The Axeman went on a little rampage because some girl looked at him funny at McDonald's, and he threatened everybody in the joint with an axe, assaulted some people. Uh, he was arrested. They caught him a few blocks away, and he was out <laughs> of jail three hours later and then giving press interviews on the street. This is a real problem. We're not making it up. And Kathy Hochul, the Democrat, is sticking your head in the sand.
Voters need to know that we have a plan. We're working on this and just putting up ads that say you have the answer when you really don't. When you don't think we should be getting guns off the streets, you want to give guns to every teacher, you want guns in the subways. That is just irrational to think that that's going to make people safer. Then I, I just think people need to know uh, really what's on the line here is someone who's been working in the trenches, rolling up her sleeves, getting the job done, and not just running around the state saying all you have to do is repeal, re re repeal a bail law and all the crime will disappear. I think he, people are smarter than that. Oh, phew, there's nothing to worry about. Did you hear that? Kathy Hochul has a plan. She's working on it, and that's Kathy, all right, right? Rolling up her sleeves, in the trenches, getting the job done. No, she's not. She's just enjoying the perks of being a governor with multi-levels of security. Look at this footage like she's somehow the queen. Look, this bail reform stuff is real. Uh, it's put people at tremendous risk. And people are dying, like this beautiful woman from Buffalo. So she was in a very bad relationship. Uh, her ex-husband was beating her up. He was arrested. And then just a few hours later, with no bail, he was released. No cash bail. He's out. And what did he do? He showed up at her house and killed her in front of her three children. Those are the charges. So this is real stuff. And Congressman Zeldin, her Republican opponent, this is a man I trust. The reality is we need to hire more cops. Yeah. Uh, we need to make sure that the handcuffs aren't on them, that they're on the bad guys. Yeah. Uh, the people should be able to feel safe on the subway where they don't have to fear getting thrown into an oncoming subway car. Right. In order to be able to do this, to take back our streets and to take back our subways, it's going to require Albany to work with the mayor, to work with the NYPD, and to make sure DAs understand that that stands for district attorney, not defense attorney, and just get to work to get this done. Right. But right now, what we have right now is feckless, soft-on-crime, weak leadership. Since he's been a candidate, by the way, gangbangers have opened fire right in front of his house. And some guy jumped on stage and tried to stab him. And this is happening all across the country. You hear about this Republican in North Carolina uh, running for the House of Representatives, excuse me, uh, a shooting outside of his family home, children asleep inside. Fortunately, no injuries. This is real stuff. This is not a game. And moving over to Pennsylvania now, oh boy, John Fetterman, is he going to make it across the finish line? Uh, I know he's getting all kinds of help, but they're going to have to carry him. I don't think it's going to work, and I don't think it should work. Take a look. Summer of 1986, I, uh, I think everyone that ever plays football in, in high school was... You know, at a kind of like a trade-out trade kind of uh, football camp, and uh, wasn't wasn't there wasn't any interest to have me come play here. You know, I he can't be a senator. That's what you do. You stand up and you make speeches. He can't do it anymore. Of course, Oprah would jump in. Oprah Winfrey, why would she do such a thing? She endorsed John Fetterman, even though she was really good friends with Dr. Oz. This is a betrayal. I think she did it to suck up to the Obamas. Maybe they ordered her to do it. But yeah, she went with uh, that guy. I said it was up to the citizens of Pennsylvania, and of course it still is. But I will tell you all this. If I lived in Pennsylvania, I would have already cast my vote for John Fetterman for many reasons. Like what? Like what? Uh, like what? Does anybody know? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I know the reason. 
Uh, she wants to suck up to the Obamas. She wants to stay cool with them. It doesn't matter. It's not going to help. Look, she's terrible at politics. Uh, she endorsed Hillary Clinton. That did not work out. And a lot of folks will see this as a betrayal of a friend, and that doesn't uh, sit well with people. Yeah, she and Dr. Oz for a long time were very cool. Hey, by the way, don't hold that against Dr. Oz that they were friends at one point. Remember, uh, Oprah was very friendly with Donald Trump for a moment. Actually, folks, in 2015, Donald Trump actually entertained making Oprah his vice president. He did, just for a little while. I don't think he was kidding. Anyway, hey, I'm very glad to report this, that Tom Barack, a longtime friend and associate of Donald Trump, has been found not guilty. Uh, he was in some trouble, and, well, he's no longer in trouble. I think his big problem was he was friends with Donald Trump. They tried to get him on some sort of, uh, he was lobbying without being registered. And of course, when they indicted him, when they arrested him, boy, oh boy, was it big news. And some more breaking news to tell you about right now. Thomas Barrick, who chaired President Donald Trump's inaugural committee, was arrested today in the L.A. area in connection with a federal indictment. Breaking news just in. Uh, former President Donald Trump's longtime confidant, Tom Barrick, has been arrested for acting as an agent of foreign government. More legal trouble today stemming from the Trump presidency. Surprise. Tom Barak, a close friend of the former guy who also headed his 2017 inaugural committee, was arrested today in Los Angeles on federal charges. Not guilty on all counts. And guess what happens when that happens? The headlines aren't nearly as big. It happens on a Friday afternoon, and it just kind of fades away. But there are scars, and there's real damage in the wake of that kind of attention, that kind of expense, that kind of harassment from the federal government. Congratulations to Tom Barack. I'm sorry he had to go through all that stuff. Hey, Nancy Pelosi is finally speaking out. I mean, actually looking into a camera and talking about what happened last week. And there are some interesting uh, matters to address regarding Paul Pelosi. We'll be right back. All right. Paul Pelosi is out of the hospital. Nancy is speaking out about it. She's very happy for all the support she's received. And we're glad, of course, that he's on the mend. Um, now, NBC News had a very compelling report this morning. Um, they seem to be breaking some news. Uh, very interesting. Take a look. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. That's interesting, isn't it? Very interesting indeed. Uh, as has been pointed out, that does not seem like a standard reaction if the police came and you just call the police. Um, also in the report, uh, something else was observed in a bit of a curious way. What we do know is he brutally attacked Mr. Pelosi and attempted to kill him. After spending several days in the ICU, Pelosi, who is recovering from a fractured skull and serious injuries to his arm and hand, is now home where Capitol Police remain on alert. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePap when the 42-year-old broke into his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear.
it's very interesting, the presentation of this report, especially that item, as is accurately reported, that there's no established relationship between Pelosi and Mr. DePape. Listen to how it's mentioned in the report, though. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePape. Previously, they have said that. What are they saying now? That is unclear. Now, the story has been removed from all NBC platforms, their website, their Twitter, everything. It is gone. And we have this statement from NBC News. It reads as follows. This piece should not have aired because it did not meet NBC News reporting standards. Now, keep in mind, this NBC News, they had a lot to say about Russia collusion for two years, but this story somehow runs afoul of their reporting standards. It seemed quite solid. Uh, they cited sources, and uh, Miguel Almaguer is a solid reporter. And here's something you may not know about him. He grew up in San Francisco. He went to Berkeley Heights High School. He went to San Francisco State. I think he's got pretty good sources in the San Francisco area. Stay tuned. we got to watch what happens next, then keep our eyes and ears open. Uh, but back to Nancy Pelosi herself. Yes, she made a statement, and she is very appreciative of all the well wishes that have been sent her way and prayers. It's with a grateful heart uh, that I thank you for being here with all, coming together this morning. Usually we're Wednesday, but all came home yesterday. That enables me to, uh, to be at home at, with all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words, your prayers, uh, and your good wishes for Paul. It's going to be a long haul, but he will be well. And it, it's just so tragic how it happened. But nonetheless, we have to be optimistic. He's surrounded by family. So that's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. We're glad he's getting better. We wish him the very best. And we also hope that one day we know everything there is to know about this story. It is of significant public interest. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Letitia James is this, oh my goodness gracious, she is the Attorney General of New York State. She's made it her cause to harass Donald Trump, and she's running for re-election, and boy, oh boy, she seems to think she's the poet laureate of the United States. Take a look. I've spent my career fighting to make life better for New Yorkers, whether it's taking down violent gun and drug rings to keep our streets safe protecting the rights of women, putting money back into our communities ravaged by opioids, or standing up to corrupt politicians. No one is above the law. New York is my home. New Yorkers are my family. I will never stop fighting for my family. I am Letitia James, your attorney general, the people's lawyer. The people's lawyer. Give me a break, huh? The family? What, what are you talking about? And what you said about Donald Trump... I think you should not be a lawyer anymore. A lot of people believe you should be disbarred. Take a look. Will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's going to know my name personally. I am announcing that today we are filing a lawsuit against Donald Trump for violating the law as part of his efforts to generate profits for himself, his family, and his company. He stands for is in violation of 
question of our values and who we are as a people and as a society. This investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth, to achieve, to deceive banks and the people of the great state of New York. Running for attorney general because I will never be afraid to challenge this illegitimate president when our fundamental rights are at stake. There cannot be different rules for different people in this country or in this state. And former presidents are no different. And so today we are making good on that promise, on our commitment. Because no one, no one is above the law. Hey, 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 get over yourself. Donald Trump is suing Letitia James. I love it. I hope he's successful. Uh, big lawsuit. We're going through it. Uh, wish him all the success in the world. Uh, this is a bad lawyer, Letitia James. And by the way, I'm not formally endorsing anyone. I can't do that. But Michael Henry is running for attorney general, and we wish him all the luck in the world. Anything would be a step up over Latisha James. Do we agree? I think we agree. Okay. Oh, also this. Donald Trump at the rally last night. A little teaser. Did you hear about it? In order to make our country successful and safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again. Okay? Very, very, very probably. Very, very, very probably. Get ready. That's all I'm telling you. Very soon. Get ready. Get ready. That means he's running. And actually, we're hearing of a date. Reports indicate that Donald Trump may formally declare for president on November 14th. That is a week from Monday. That would be wild. That would be pretty early. But, you know, some people are, oh, my God, this is historically hard, too early and it's uh, uh, threat to the system. No, it's not. And it's really not all that early. Um, it's about 90 days early. Barack Obama, when he ran for president the first time, he declared in February of 2007. That's, uh, yeah, about three months after uh, Donald Trump, if he does declare in that cycle. So that's okay. I think it's, uh, I actually think it's pretty cool. All right, are we ready for a quick break? We are. We'll be right back. Ooh, they're going after the FBI, and of course, the FBI deserves it. Jim Jordan and House Republicans, they think that institution, unfortunately, sad to say, is rotten to the core. We'll be right back. All I can, All I can say is, is that, that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Um, in the fake news, boy, oh boy, if you are a whistleblower and you might lean a little bit conservative, they want nothing to do with you. Whistleblowers are all over the place talking about the FBI and malpractice, malfeasance. We got this huge, massive 700-page report from the House Judiciary Committee outlining all kinds of problems. I just started reading this thing, but a quick rehash of some of the problems we all know about. James Comey helped ruin that place and he telegraphed to everybody how political he was when he said the idea that the FBI may have, uh, what did he say? How did he feel when Trump got elected? Look, this is terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. That's actually what got uh, Jim Comey fired. Nauseous that Donald Trump got elected. That's how Donald Trump interpreted that remark, which I think is a fair 
remark. What the heck is he doing saying something like that? And here he is bragging about how powerful he was uh, at the FBI a few months after he left, maybe a year or so. And I think he's flirting with the girl who's interviewing him. You look at this White House now, and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the sit room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration. In both of those administrations, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel, and there'd be discussions and approvals, and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. This unelected bureaucrat was playing mischief with the Trump administration. He just admitted it. And, yeah, I think he was flirting and bragging to that, uh, what's her name again, Nicole something? Yep, I wonder, uh, I wonder where that went. All right, also this. Uh, the FBI, I think, has distorted as an essential view of America. This is not a place full of white supremacists, but that's what Democrats want them to say, so that's what they say. I will say that a uh, majority of the um, domestic terrorism uh, cases that we've investigated uh, are motivated by some version of what you might call white supremacist. You see how he's kind of like, I could possibly say he is in the process right there of appeasing his political masters who want to hear about white supremacy, even when there's no white supremacy. And you know what? His political masters, they also don't want to hear about black identity extremism, which is a real thing and which is plaguing huge parts of American life, unlike white supremacy. But we'll delete that because Senator Booker finds it offensive somehow. So nobody's being surveilled or investigated on the black identity extremism. We don't use... We don't use that terminology anymore. That was part of the reorganization of all of our domestic terrorism threat categorization. That terminology went away uh, as part of this racially motivated violent extremism category. Yeah, just went away because it was politically incorrect, but black identity extremism is a real thing, and we're seeing it. <laughs> we're seeing it all the time, all the time. And what is their priority? Just look at their Twitter page. Uh, for much of the past two years, it has been January 6th. Their pinned tweet all about finding those uh, who were, yes, there on January 6th, their number one priority. The guy with the horns, people who were there but didn't break anything, didn't hurt anybody. Um, this was an unwise use of federal resources, in my opinion. They totally blew January 6th way out of proportion. Also, uh, Michael Sussman, that Hillary Clinton lawyer, just texting with the top lawyer at the FBI. I'm coming down on my own behalf. Uh, I'm not on a client's behalf. I just want to help the Bureau. 
and they actually bought it? No, they knew exactly what was going on. These guys, that swamp, it is so thick. The Steele dossier, we now know that the FBI was offering a million dollars if uh, Michael Steele could somehow substantiate all that nonsense. He couldn't. What did they do with the FBI laptop? After that poor patriot in uh, that Delaware computer store called the FBI, what did they do next? Well, it's clear by now they tried to hide this entire matter. And think about the FBI building, that big, huge building in the heart of Washington, D.C. What's it called, anyway? The J. Edgar Hoover Building. You know, it's amazing. We are renaming military bases all over the place, but this is still called the J. Edgar Hoover Building. Now, J. Edgar Hoover, I think we all know by now, um, was a criminal. Did not play by the rules. Used the FBI for all kinds of things it should not have been used for. Black bag jobs, illegal wiretapping. Maybe it's time they change the name of the building. And maybe it's time they change the name of the FBI and start over. I am absolutely disgusted. Louis Gohmert will be here in a little bit to talk more about the problems at the FBI and how they just might have to get rid of it and start anew. I'll be right back. Conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Ha, huh, Jim Comey. He helped ruin the FBI, but a long time coming. They've had some bad apples for a long time. Of course, the current crap, or in recent years, Comey, uh, Strzok, people like that. Uh, but it goes way back, way back. I mean, the FBI, hell, they named the building for J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover. I mean, we now know this guy was uh, spying on Americans, breaking the law left and right. Is this a legacy? Today's FBI, is it a legacy of J. Edgar Hoover? You might think so if you start looking at this massive report uh, from the House Judiciary Committee FBI whistleblowers, what their disclosures indicate about the politicization of the FBI and Justice Department. We're joined now by Congressman Louis Gohmert, Republican of Texas, member of the House Judiciary Committee. Sir, welcome back. First of all, how are you? Doing all right, Greg. Thank you. And I'm so glad you're spending time on this story. It is critical that American people understand how bad and how unjust the Department of Justice has gotten. You know, what the left will do right away is say, well, wait a second, you're not supporting law enforcement. Now, of course, we support law enforcement, but human beings are human beings. Corruption goes with human beings. And the FBI is named for J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> anyway, listen, this is a lot. To be honest, I'm only a few pages into it. Give me some of the takeaways uh, for you and the committee. Well, we, we know that Mueller began the politicization of it, uh, even though he was appointed by George W. Bush. He went after Republicans like you know, um, Alaskan senator. He went after a Pennsylvania Republican congressman a couple of weeks before his election. So this has been going on. Comey continued that. And what we have gotten from FBI whistleblowers are things that weren't going on in the 80s and 90s. 
and not until we got Mueller, Comey, and we got the FBI director named Christopher Wray. He, in fact, was quoted back in 05 as saying he wanted to be wherever Comey and Mueller were. He was a Mueller, Comey wannabe. I should tell you plenty. But some of the whistleblowers' uh, information have made clear things like when this Department of Justice condemns Trump for not having adequate security on documents, uh, well, actually, uh, I would submit that confidential top-secret documents regarding what the FBI has been doing wrong and political over the last six years is a lot safer with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago than it is on the seventh floor of the FBI building. Yeah. We had one whistleblower that said the skiff, you know, the uh, compartmentalized uh, facility where you go in to talk about our most secret information, and especially the director and assistant director's uh, own floor, their own skiff. Well, a whistleblower said people are taking phones in. The deputy director took phones in. Their smartwatches, all these things that any of us that ever go in skiffs know you can't take in there. Well, anybody that's half-decent hacking has hacked everything that is said and done in the top floor of the FBI office. Congressman? But they initially said that didn't happen, mm. and then two people that are, their job is to analyze gifts said, oh, yeah, it happens constantly. It it's, is not secure. It's pretty wild, though. Whistleblowers, when, when they're not leftists, when they're not attacking conservatives or corporate America, they are... Ignored. They are brushed aside. Yeah. Uh, but if they should attack the other side, you know, whistleblowers from the left, they're heroes. They're on the cover of exactly. Time Magazine, Person of the Year. You're probably going to be in the majority in two months. This report, what happens next? What can you do? How is it going to change? What can you get done when you're in the majority? What do you want to do? We start having hearings, bring in people that are whistleblowers that are willing at least bring in the testimony and start drilling and grilling those people that have been violating the law, violating procedures. I mean, we one whistleblower was punished for refusing to make his agents sign false affidavits so that the DOJ could arrest two conservatives. And they said, we can't, we can't swear to that. It's a lie. And then they said, his boss had to make them sign it, and when the boss didn't, they punished the boss and moved him out. This is, it started at the head, but that rot and corruption has spread all over the place. And so we have got to go after it everywhere it is. And Greg, I really think we may need to create a new federal law enforcement entity, have a commission that examines current FBI agents and make sure that anybody that goes into the new bureau uh, can be trusted and not is not a political animal like we've seen for recent years. It's very, very dangerous for Americans. We're going to have to change the name. And I saw some folks on social media suggest maybe put it outside of Washington, D.C. Perhaps that could help. Look, the media, they're convinced that the FBI is uh, unassailable. I mean, that it's just uh, perfect. Listen to this, please. 
Republican attacks on the Department of Justice and the FBI intensify, prompting fears that rhetoric could turn to violence. These attacks against the most important federal law enforcement agency Less than in America. 24 hours after a peaceful search that they gave them a yeah. heads up on. Peaceful search. The former president and his allies are escalating their attacks on the FBI, claiming without any evidence that the investigation is politically motivated. These attacks on the FBI are just very sort of out there and outlandish. Every person out there attacking this is essentially attacking non-politicized and independent law enforcement. You know, the indignation that they're expressing, I think, is so anti-democratic. The FBI, their employees, they weren't elected. These are bureaucrats, by definition, Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is a democracy. They work for us, not the other way around, sir. Right. Yeah, exactly. And this FBI, uh, that's who I'm hearing from, FBI agents currently former FBI agents that are livid with what these political animals have done to what was a very noteworthy and acclaimed law enforcement entity in the 80s and 90s. But they're embarrassed. Some of them contact me and say, you remember how things were in the 80s and 90s when you were a lawyer and a judge? They have destroyed that. That non-politicalization has become politicalization and it's got to stop. And so there have got to be hearings, and we can't take no for an answer. we got to get down to the bottom of it and get rid of the corruption. It's destroying the country. And I know you're going to look into Ashley Babbitt as well. Uh, we have not gotten the answers mm -hmm. that we need when you're nope. back in the majority, which will most likely happen. And uh, anyway, Congressman Louis Gohmert, thank you very oh, much again. Thank you for your service. Ray, thanks so much. It's thanks for the light you shine. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's an honor. Thank you, sir. We'll Thank be right you. back. All right. This is a book that I'm currently reading. April 1945, The Hinge of History by Craig Shirley, who has written some of my favorite books. His books on Reagan are without parallel. They are the very best. I love big, weighty, rich in detail uh, books of history. And it's amazing how many thin, silly books there are out there. Craig Shirley's books really make a difference. That's why we have them on just about every Friday night and beyond. Craig, uh, welcome back. Uh, first, you, you bet, you bet. Now, listen, I had to establish you as a serious historian, which you are, because I want to talk about some guys who aren't. Uh, well, first of all, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm terrific. Uh, I'm a little, I'm excited about next week. And Me I'm too. really annoyed by, and I have been for a long time, Michael Beschlosh. <laughs> I noticed him on television probably 20, 25 years ago. And, uh, you know, he talks a good game on TV. And then I picked up one of his books, and it was the silliest, most vapid, thin, nothing yes. there. And I think the key to his whatever he's got going is the way he looks. He's, he's pretty, no doubt about it. But I, I, most of his books, look, I know Michael. Uh, I don't consider him a friend, but I know him. Uh, he's often uh, wrong about history. I remember once he was on a Meet the Press episode talking about, uh, it was during the Bush-Cheney presidency, and he was talking about Cheney possibly resigning. And, and then he said that if he did so, he would be the first vice president to resign. Well, as any, anybody knows, 
uh, John C. Calhoun was vice president to Martin Van Buren and resigned in 1836 to, over the, the discussion over nullification of federal taxes on Southern goods. So, I mean, a, any historian would know that John C. Calhoun resigned, and it wasn't just the possibility of Dick Cheney resigning. Yeah. He, he's, hey, and uh, how about Spiro Wagner? I whipped that. I, I knew that all the time. Spiro Wagner resigned. But do me a favor. Exactly. Take a look exactly. at this. It's totally offensive, totally weird. This is like, this is what Trump derangement syndrome looks like. I mean, here we go. What do you view as the key takeaway of the speech tonight? Well, he was absolutely candid and he was absolutely right because, as you know, Chris, six nights from now, we could all be discussing violence all over this country. A historian 50 years from now, if historians are allowed to write in this country and if there are still free publishing houses and a free press, which I'm not certain of, but if that is true, a historian will say what was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed. We're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. I mean, this is madness. This is really, uh, there's, there's nothing. He's, Go he's, ahead. Off his, he's, off his, he's off his rocker. He, the pressure is getting to him as it is getting to most people on the left. Look, you, the, the best telltale sign, Greg, we can, we can read of the panic of the Democrats is the more vicious they become, the more, uh, the more acid is in their comments, the more n nastiness in their comments, the more it's likely the Republicans are going to win and win big. You know, they, they, they are desperate because they're about to lose power. And that, to them, is the most precious coin of the realm, is power. Uh, as, you know, uh, power can only be, power cannot be destroyed or created. It can only be moved around. And next Tuesday, it's about to move from the mainstream media to the new media. And it's about to move from the Democrats to the Republicans. And they are not happy about it at all. Well, there's nothing remotely fascist about MAGA. It's it's not. It's about not. freedom. It's about the rule of law. And I just, uh, I, I was really taken aback. I, I, th I thought he could fake it, at least, being a thoughtful person. This is madness. Hey, do me a favor. You know Joe Biden. You've had some run-ins with him over the years. Let's put the video up yes. of uh, his speech earlier this week, which I thought was a, another disgrace. Um, someone told me this week that Joe Biden is depressed and this is the speech that he really wants to give or wanted to give because he believes in all this stuff. What was your, uh, what are your thoughts? It is completely unpresidential, but he is, all the speeches are unpresidential. Uh, going back to the uh, Nuremberg speech, uh, he do, he spe we were speaking of power before. He doesn't understand the bully pulpit. He doesn't understand the power of the presidency. He doesn't understand his job as president is try to bring the American people together and not not cut them apart. Uh, it's, it, there's nothing redeeming about this presidency or him right now. It's it, there's nothing that's helpful to the Democrats next Tuesday. On the hand, there's a lot of issues that have, are going to be helpful for the Republican Party next Tuesday, and we're seeing. I think uh, we're seeing a, a couple things, uh, Greg. One is uh, next Tuesday will be the will be the effective end of the Biden presidency, uh, and two is that it will be the start of the 2024 presidential campaign. So uh, you, you'll hear from Hillary a lot in the next couple of years. Well, what about this? I think Biden uh, believes he will be impeached, uh, and a lot of folks want to impeach him. Take a look.
I'm, I'm already being told if they win back the House and Senate, they're going to impeach me. I don't know what the hell they're impeach me for. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I'm not joking. And then, and then, then and then, re, no, no. And then recently, they said we should stop talking about that until we win. Well, um, uh, I think one thing they could impeach him over is the border, which, under the Constitution, I believe. It's actually delineated as one of his duties to secure the border from invasion. He has that's failed. Right. I believe that's impeachable. What else that's do you right. think is impeachable? Uh, I'd, have to, I'd have to look at it more closely, Greg. I mean, th there's there's lots of things that we need to examine. But I let me go farther. I think it's a mistake to impeach him. I think he serves our purposes politically. I mean, be candid about it. it serves our purposes more so just twisting the wind with no effective power, but we've got him in a communications way to push against that would show what we're for and what he's against. So the best thing to do is just leave him there. He's going to be primaried by Hillary in 2024. He might make it, he might not make it, but the party is moving ever, ever to the left, which almost seals its fate as an effective political institution anytime in our future. Wow. Uh, I don't think he makes it. He's not going to be president a year from now. I know that. I know it in my bones. He's going to have to resign. But we will see. Craig Shirley, thank you very much. Hey, when you're not well, writing books, whose books are you reading? Who do you like to read? Um, right now, I'm rereading Manhunt by James Swanson. It was about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. I'm also uh, reading some other uh, books about Reagan. And, you know, I'm, and also I'm writing a book on Trump. So I'm reading uh, some books over here that I can't point to right, that are over here okay. that help me, uh, okay. uh, help me uh, inform myself about, uh, about uh, Trump. That's beautiful. I'm reading tweets. <laughs> I got <laughs> I to break open some books and finish yours, 1945. It is excellent. Thank I you. am enjoying it. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen again. April 1945 by Craig Shirley, The Hinge of History. Thank you, Craig, and we'll be right back. Hey, another rally. Uh, two of them, actually. Tomorrow, 6 o'clock, uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Then Sunday, 4 o'clock, from Miami, Florida. Both will be carried live right here on Newsmax. You really should watch them in their entirety. It's great. You learn so much. Folks, thank you. Hope you had a great week. Have a great weekend. Next week is going to be big. I'll see you then.